And uh, it's the Sabbath, as it is in many parts of the world. And Lord, it's a special day, a special day indeed. Every week, it's a special day. And we thank you that we can respond to your invitation to come together and to sing praises and to speak of you and, and to have just a, a wonderful day of fellowship with you uh, and with others. May your Holy Spirit be here now, not only for this presentation, but throughout the day. Lord, we covet it. And uh, we, we know that uh, where two or three are gathered together in thy name, there thou art also. We claim that promise this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, probably 20 years ago or so, I was conducting an evangelistic series at the Cape Cod Seventh-day Adventist Church. And, you know, out east in Massachusetts, we just refer to it as the Cape, and everybody knows where Cape Cod is. And in one of my presentations, about halfway through the presentation, an alarm went off in one of the vehicles in the parking lot. And uh, you know how those horns keep going incessantly. And after a couple of minutes, I thought to myself, now, why doesn't somebody go out there and get that horn stopped? And it went on and on, probably for a good 15, 20 minutes. And while I'm preaching and that irritant is out there, you know, I'm thinking to myself, come on, somebody, please. Uh, you could hear it so very loudly and clearly. And I don't want to say I was getting irritated, that's maybe a sin, but I was frustrated. And uh, so when my presentation concluded and I went out to the, to the lobby, one of the individuals, before I could say anything, said, you know what, right? Pastor, that was your car. Sometimes, you know, you can begin to judge people and point a finger when you yourself are not what you are looking for in other individuals. This morning, I'm concluding my series on agape, and I have tried to emphasize or build a case, and today it's going to um, be a conclusion this morning to the whole idea of agape in a practical sense. Because if your faith, well, open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 14. And when you're there, say amen. Wow, that was fast for somebody. Wow. Either they've got a gizmo that just one movement of the thumb, and they're already there. Revelation 14, verse 12, and I don't think any of you who are here this morning and perhaps out watching or listening um, is unaware of what verse 12 tells us. We read, here is the patience, the endurance of the saints. What are they called? Saints. Wow. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. I'm reading from the New King James. So identified are these individuals, and this is in the context of what we call the third angel's message. 
in the context here of just prior to the return of Jesus Christ as it unfolds for us in the rest of chapter 14 we see these individuals who are identified two ways that they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus one time when I was pastoring not far from South Lancaster, Massachusetts in Atlantic Union College, I had a guest speaker come in who I'd never seen. This is now going back 40 years ago. I'd never seen, I'd, I'd read much of his material, I had a guest speaker. And so I went to the airport in Boston to pick him up. And before I did, I said, well, look, how can I know, you know, with 200, 300 individuals on that plane, how do I know who you, who you are? How am I gonna identify you? So obviously he says, well, I'm gonna be wearing this. I'm about this tall. Uh, etc. etc. So he gave me those those identifying characteristics or visible physical uh, identities and obviously when he got off I was not looking for a lady. I was not looking for an old man. I wasn't looking for a child I was looking for someone who fit that particular Identification it wasn't hard to find him in the closing hours of earth's history this group of individuals are, are identified as keeping the commandments and faith of Jesus. Now, I think I mentioned to you yesterday or the day before, if you go to, go to Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two, and here is this great a revelation of God's greatness in the formation of a human being verse 7 and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being I think I asked you which was more important the body or the or the spirit or the breath of God and we would agree I think that they're both important without one you can't have a human being we as Seventh-day Adventists especially evangelists when they talk about the, the, the humanity of man and they talk about what happens when you die, invariably we go to that text to start off. And we say that when you die, you die. The spirit goes back to heaven. The breath goes back to heaven, the breath of God. And we know that many other world religions and many Christian religions see it differently that there is life that spirit is in heaven and there's life there and we say nay 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 that's not true you're a spiritualist if you believe that you're going to fall eventually in the closing hours you're going to fall for the the deception of spiritualism and I think I mentioned to you that there is a connection between Genesis 2 and verse 7 and what we just read in Revelation 14 12 that those commandments of God and the faith of Jesus are as one just as when Adam met Eve they married we're told that they, the two of them beca became as what as one they were one flesh you can't have faith without the commandments and you're really not keeping the commandments if you don't have faith they're joined at the hip as it were 
So if you have faith and you don't have a commitment to keeping the commandments, I would suggest that philosophically you are a spiritualist. And there may be some among us who are determined they're never going to fall for the deception of the closing hours of Earth's history that has to do with communication with the spirits. They'll never fall for that. And unwittingly, unwittingly, philosophically, they are spiritualist. And so your faith, God designs that your faith has a body to it. And that body is reflected in your keeping of the Ten Commandments. Now, go with me to the seventh chapter of the book of Romans. When you're there, say amen. Heard one. Here is, here, here's, here's a, a passage that I just, for years and years and years, decades, 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 just went over and didn't really meditate upon it as to what the implications of it are. Chapter 7, verse 10. Paul writes in verse 10, and the commandment which was to bring life. What was it to bring? It was to bring life. The commandment was to bring life. I found to bring death. Now what does it mean that the commandment was to bring life? We don't typically think of the commandments as bringing life. I mentioned again either yesterday or the day before um, that uh, E.J. Wagner in his commentary in the book of Romans uh, on this particular verse says that the law of God is the life of God. So we typically, when we think of the keeping the Ten Commandments, you know, sometimes we, as Seventh-day Adventists, we get a little feelings, we get feelings of superiority over other Christians because we keep, we keep the commandments because we worship on the right day of the week. And if that's never come to your mind before in your years as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, I would say that you are almost ready for translation. Because that is typical of us in our evangelism, in our Bible studies. We, we keep the commandments because we are Seventh-day Sabbath keepers and you are not. If that be so, as I already have mentioned in this three-part series, if we truly understand the significance of the Sabbath and not just that it's the right day to keep holy, 
the Sabbath is all about mercy. I suggested to you yesterday that in fact of all the commandments, the seventh day Sabbath commandment, the fourth commandment, is the most merciful of them all. And then to prove my case, I guess, I bid you to go to Luke chapter 4 where Jesus announced his mission of mercy on the seventh day Sabbath. That wasn't just a coincidence. That wasn't just because he found himself in the synagogue on Sabbath. He was tying the two together. And then I also took you, if you were here or watching or listening, I took you to the 58th chapter of the book of Isaiah and verses 13 and 14, which is a reference to the seventh day Sabbath. And I showed you that the context of that is living a merciful life. Mercy itself implies a relationship. And sometimes we as Seventh-day Adventists, when we talk about obeying the commandments, we think of it only in terms of ourselves. I go to church on the right day of the week. I eat the right foods. I don't go here. I don't do this. I don't do that. And I'm obedient. Jesus has called me to obedience. And it can be that we do not think of the Ten Commandments and obedience as always in relationship to the other, to the other, God, and to the others, our fellow human beings. I would imagine, I would imagine, if you're anything like moi, you have a, a growing conviction that Jesus is coming soon. Is that, is, is that your conviction as well? Or am I alone in that? I heard a couple of amens. But yeah, we, we look around us, we look around us, and we say, wow, the world is going nuts. The attitude in America, do you know what? It's not the United States anymore because the states are not united. There's rancor, there's hatred. And one thing I've noticed that the sin, the sin in the Garden of Eden or the aftermath of the sin is being replicated today. Everybody else is responsible for what is taking place. And the blame game is incredible. The blame game is incredible. Everybody blames everybody else for all of the problems with COVID-19, with the social unrest, etc., etc. It's always the other person who's to blame. That's, that's Adam and Eve all over again. So the hatred is just incredible. It's very sad to see. We ought to respect those who differ from us. And so if there's ever a time in Earth's history that there is a call for individuals who will 
keep the commandments and the faith of Jesus Christ. It is now. The world needs this message so very, very desperately. By the way, you can't try to love people, can you? You can't try to love people. It's Jesus dwelling within. And that, that love then, in a practical way, is manifested to the world through you and me. And I would say that the Sabbath was given as a day of mercy. And so, really, when you think of it, who should be the most merciful people on planet Earth? Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Who should love the most? Well, my love, my love is directly proportional to the love that I recognize and experience that God has for me. And when you and I see the love of God unveiled at Calvary's cross where Jesus was willing if need be to be eternally separated from his father as he died the second death most of Christianity doesn't know a single thing about the second death and so they don't understand the depth of God's love the cost of what he went through to save little old Bill Brace and so if anybody ought to be lovers it's those who most fully know and experience God's love for them and so it's God's design by giving a message of Jesus as we understand it and experience it that you and I sitting here or you at home or wherever you're watching this the purpose of it all is to make us loving and lovable Christians. And so to obey is to bring life. To bring life. Wagner was right. The law of God is the life of God. So as Jesus says, he who gives just a cup of water to a child is fulfilling the law. I uh, recently, recently, uh, as I have been reading some, well, reading the book Christ Object Lessons, I've been impressed with uh, how often the word tender is in that book and other books as well I'd never noticed that for years but it's it's having a tender heart having tenderness toward other individuals so the faith of Jesus is to be manifested in a practical way you cannot separate your love for God with your love for your fellow human man. And the more you love God, the more you love Jesus, the more you love the Godhead, the more you will just naturally love people. 
that you will be a loving and lovable person. There's no separation. There's no separation between the first four commandments and the last six. There are unity. In fact, a little lady who we believe it was divinely inspired makes a statement that the law is a divine unity. Now, you heard me say, I do believe this woman is the greatest theologian since the Apostle Paul. Divinely inspired. But wow, what a theologian she was. Listen to some of these other references. And they're from the book, Christ's Object Lessons. Divine truth exerts little influence upon the world when it should exert much influence through our practice. A right example will do more to benefit the world than all our profession. The principles of the gospel cannot be disconnected from any department of practical life. She says we cannot try to love others. What is needed is the love of Christ in the heart. Notice this one. And all you PhDs who may be tuning in, there's just so much theology in this statement. We cannot come in touch with divinity without coming in touch with humanity for in him who sits upon the throne of the universe, divinity and, and humanity are combined. Connected with Christ, we are connected with our fellow men by the golden links of the chain of love. Then the pity and compassion of Christ will be manifest in our life. Um, practical work will have far more effort, effect rather, than mere sermonizing. We are to give food to the hungry, clothing to the naked, and shelter to the homeless. With Christ abiding in us, our hearts will be full of divine sympathy. By the way, if she were writing that today, she wouldn't use the word sympathy. She, I believe, would use the word empathy because when she wrote that, I don't even know if the word empathy was in the English language. Empathy. I mentioned, too, that when one is truly converted and understands and experiences agape in a fuller and fuller degree, there is a connection, there is empathy for God. Not only am I so excited that in all my affliction he is afflicted, but then I begin to realize in all of his affliction, I should be afflicted. My care is for God and not for self. I'm not want, wanting Jesus to come so that I can get out of here and get away from this COVID-19 problem or all of the stuff that's going on in Washington, D.C. Oh, my, I can hardly wait. Oh, fun, the, all of the hurricanes and tornadoes. Oh, it'll be good to see Jesus come. No, my primary reason for wanting Jesus to come is so that he can reap his reward. The Bible speaks in the Old Testament about how God's people are his inheritance. But we usually think about our inheritance in heaven. 
that street of gold and that mansion and no more problems, no more harassing, etc., etc. And yet, our first desire is what it will mean to Jesus to have us in heaven. That's other-centeredness. That's agape. And so as we think of the Ten Commandments, may we understand that obedience is bringing life to people. That's why Servant of the Lord can say there is a ministry in a warm handshake. Well, if she were alive right now, she'd probably talk about, you know, an elbow touching or something. But she, she mentions there, there's, a, there's a ministry in a warm handshake. The simplest things that we do day by day, it's if they're acts of kindness and goodness, we are bringing life to somebody. And isn't that why we're here to bring life to people? That's why we're alive today. She calls the Ten Commandments a law of ministry or a law of service. I would encourage you when you get a chance to open your Christ Object Lessons that may be on your shelf at home and read the chapter, Who is My Neighbor? Who is my neighbor? As we read those quotations, we're, we're motivated to believe that what we do is more important, or at least as important, if not more important, than what we say. My son, Sean, who's a pastor in Maine, some of you think probably know him, would say, Dad, we've done a lot of sending out of brochures. It's now time to send out people. Doesn't mean we shouldn't send out brochures, but how important are you to God where you live. We have done, I think, a pretty good job of preparing churches for ministry. But I'm not sure we've done as good a job in preparing our members individually for ministry. Because as I think of neighbors, it's not somebody across the sea. It's not somebody on the other side of town. It's the people who live right next door. It's the people three or four doors down. How do, do our neighbors see us? Do they know us as loving and lovable Christians? That, I believe, is what the message of 1888 can produce in local neighborhoods. Never ever underestimate the power of your character, the power of your life. Never ever underestimate it. It can affect 
one person that affects another person that affects another person until thousands and thousands of persons have been affected by your one small act of kindness to one person. I think the Lord is waiting for us to say in the early mornings, Lord, bring me in contact with someone that I can bring life to. Your life. So in the time I have left, I have not one, not two, but three stories to tell. Is that okay? Uh, I want the audience, wherever they are at home watching or listening, I want them to have me be able to say, I saw a lot of people nodding. Can I see at least a few people nodding? Three stories. May have told this one before to some of the folk here, but it's January of 2019, and I live near Boston. And you know what's in Boston in January? Same thing that's in Battle Creek in January. What? Snow. So I'm snow blowing my driveway. And I'm up at the top of my driveway, right near the street, and a lady who lives kitty corner to me, I see her get in her car, and she comes out of the driveway, passes me, I wave to her, she waves back. About five minutes later, she's back. She goes into her house, comes out a couple minutes later. And uh, I thought, well, apparently she's forgotten something. So when she comes out of the driveway this time and starts by me, I, I kind of go like this. And she stops, rolls down the window. And uh, I say to her, how you doing? Okay. And uh, I say, well, you know, I haven't seen your husband lately. She says, he died. Now, when our kids were younger, they played together. We were friends. We'd get out on the pond, somewhat behind my house, and we would skate with the children. Occasionally, I know it's hard for some of you to believe, I'd have a hockey stick in my hands. But um, anyway, you know, I offered my condolences. I should have stopped right there, but sometimes I am a glutton for punishment. Should have stopped right there. Sorry to hear that. Very sorry. But no, I had to ask her one more question. When did he die? What time did I tell you I was out there? January of what? 2019. She said to me, he died in November of 2017. Thirteen months earlier, his driveway is about from here to, I don't know, somebody sitting here in the second, third row from my driveway. I've lived there. You know, you don't hear this very often. I've lived in the same house for now 37 years. Yeah, I've been a pastor. 37 years, same house. And his driveway is 50 feet from my driveway? I have a relationship with him? He dies 13 months earlier and I have no idea? And he is my, or he was, my neighbor. 
whoa. I guess the Holy Spirit slapped me across the face or something. I've made it a point to be more in contact with her uh, from that time, but wow. Do you know, do I know what's in the lives of our neighbors? Because remember that Jesus, when, he, when the man asked him, who's my neighbor? And Jesus concluded, are you a good neighbor? Because certainly, the Son of God considers us a friend and a neighbor. And he came to help us in our very terrible state. So my second story, my next two stories are a lot better. I told you that as self-confession. This one is about a sister of mine, my oldest sister. Sometimes she likes individuals to think that she's my younger sister. But no, she's my older sister by 11 years. And if you know how old I am, then you know how old she is. Her name is Shirley. And um, when, about 40 years ago, she was working in a company in the Boston community, there was a young lady that she was working with who was having troubles at home with her marriage. In fact, her husband was becoming somewhat violent. And so she was on a Friday afternoon lamenting the fact that this weekend she didn't know if she was going to survive it physically. And so my sister said to her, uh, why don't you come to my home for the weekend? Come to my home. So she went home to my sister's house for the weekend. That happened a few more times where she would come to my sister's home for the weekend. My sister eventually moved to Florida. How come everybody's got to move to Florida? Or to Tennessee? Or to California? How come nobody moves to New England? And so years went by. Years and years and years went by. About 40 years goes by. And this young lady shows up at the church, not as a young lady anymore because 40 years has gone by, she shows up in a church that Bob and Andy Hunziker attend and are members of. And she asks people, uh, I'm looking for Shirley Casey. Anybody here? No, no, no. A few people she asked and finally said, oh yes, we know Shirley and she moved many, many years ago to, to Florida. So she asked if she could have Bible studies. She had Bible studies. And about two years ago was baptized into the Stoneham, Massachusetts Seventh-day Adventist Church. There because 40 years earlier, somebody had befriended her and been kind. My last story 
my ministry in Boston was planting churches through traditional evangelism, Bible studies, etc. And uh, we started one west of the city, then we went south of the city and uh, started to work there in that community to establish a congregation. And in those days, we're going back now probably 35 years ago, in those days, you know, when you were trying to establish a congregation, you would look for some church to rent. Today, I'd, I'd open a church up on a sidewalk or whatever, or some barn or wherever it might be. But in those days, you know, you had to go and find a church to rent. So my, my Bible worker and I, uh, his name is Steve Cook. And by the way, by the way, by the way, sidebar. Steve Cook, maybe a few of you know him, but Steve Cook in retirement years with his dear wife, Alberta, they worked with me for three or four years in Boston. And um, anyway, I just saw a few months ago that in their retirement years, they'd gone to New York City, to the heart of the city, to try to win souls for Jesus Christ. Friend, I don't care how old you are, God can still use you. He can still use you. So we started looking, went to this church, that church, every church we could think of. It was in the town, a pretty good sized city by the way, so there were dozens of churches. Everybody, no, we can't do it. We've got things on Saturday or whatever. And so we were tempted to discouragement What's going on here? We, we, Lord, you're not opening any doors for us. And we were thinking, maybe we've come to the wrong place. Maybe we should have gone to another one of the suburbs. And so one day I received a phone call from the pastor of a Lutheran church. And he said, I understand that you're looking for a church to rent. Yeah, yeah. He said, well, come and talk to us. And so I went, the both of us went to talk to this gentleman. He was there. And uh, he had a couple a real old couple sitting there beside him who apparently belonged to their board of trustees. They were probably at least in their late 60s. They were old. So anyway, they didn't have much to say. There was a man and a woman, their husband and wife, board of trustees. And um, he says to me, well, what are you, you know, what are you looking for, et cetera, et cetera. And I told him how often we would need to use the church, Saturday mornings, sometimes Saturday afternoons, you know, Wednesday night, prayer meeting, et cetera. And he said, okay. He says, uh, we'll rent to you. And I, I couldn't, I almost jumped out of my seat. I was so excited. But my next question was an important one for us. And maybe you can guess what the question was. How much are you going to charge us? I mean, after all, any good board, any good Seventh-day Adventist board that's going to rent to some other group, you want to know how much they're going to be able to pay you, right? I almost fell off my chair again when his answer was, how much can you afford? Church boards, Please never forget that. I gave him a number which was like $50 a week or something. Fine. He says, as your congregation grows, 
will maybe increase the rent. I could have jumped up and hugged them. I really could have jumped up and hugged them. So we started to rent. We rented probably four or five years before we got our own church. And uh, so I thought, wow, I'm rejoicing, rejoicing. So a couple of weeks later on a Sabbath morning, I'm there at the church. My son, Sean, is in Sabbath school by himself and uh, down in the basement of the church. And I noticed the lady that had been sitting next to the pastor there. And we started the conversation. And she said she'd been a nurse at the local hospital years ago. Everything started to come together for me. Why they had rented to us. Because Seventh-day Adventists on the south side of Boston were practically unknown in those days. And so, yeah, I, I see it's four minutes and four seconds, Andy. <laughs> Thank you. So, so she says, you know, I, I knew a Seventh-day Adventist when I worked at the hospital. He was a doctor. I said, oh, really? She said, yeah, he was wonderfully kind, was great with the patients, nice to the nurses. I knew the answer, by the way, but I asked her, did you, do you remember his name? She said, oh, yes. He was single, by the way, and all the nurses were in love with him. Said his she said his name was Dr. Edgar Latimer. I said to her, that man became my father-in-law. Forty years previously, in the late 1940s, a Seventh-day Adventist physician had sown seeds of kindness that later were, were to bear fruitage in a church today of about 200 members. All because he had been seen as a kind person. Never ever underestimate how God wants to use you day by day. In maybe the smallest of ways, but someone sees you as a loving, and lovable person. Don't ever underestimate what God has in store for you through the power of a life that is given over to Him. Never, ever forget. Lord, thank you so much. that you can use deficient and defective vessels to your glory. And I pray, Lord, that if we have been revived in our understanding and appreciation of you, that we may see that you are desirous that we would be revived in our love for other people. May we never underestimate the practical part of life that can win souls for you.
may your spirit dwell within us and may we live for you as we minister and serve. In Jesus' name, amen.